Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Susie Chisholm is a passionate cattle farmer at Adelong in New South Wales. Susie moved to her property Gualia in 1984 with her husband who died not long after the move. Susie has been running the operation ever since. An advocate of performance recording and data capture, Susie has built her herd into what it is today and knowing her, she won't rest on her laurels. A joyful, enthusiastic farmer, it is a pleasure to introduce Susie Chisholm to the Raw Ag podcast today. Thank you. She's someone that gets out of bed pretty easily in the morning, aren't you, Susie? Yep, I have to. Much as I dread it, I lie there for probably five minutes thinking, ah. But then I get going and put on all my layers of clothes and my oversuit, beanie, gloves, scarf, and off I go into the very foggy morning this morning just to check the heifers to see if there's any problems with their calving. You're a lover of animals, as I know. You're very enthusiastic about the, um, your animals and, and making sure they're all safe. Tell us a little bit about your routine. Well, I thoroughly admire the black cattle. They're particularly um, fertile and their mothering instinct, the way they look after those little calves the minute they're born, it's amazing to me. But I go out and check the heifers for calving probably five times a day and uh, last thing in the evening and because I don't want any calamities. I don't want any poor heifer to have a calf not able to be born. And then the rest of the day, I go out into the main paddock where Harry has been tagging calves from the day before I start, or two days before, I start drifting them into another paddock that I've had shut up good feed in it so they can take off with their um, calves, as in putting on weight and looking after them, and checking the fences, checking that the pump's going and the water's there, and just generally looking after the whole herd. And you mentioned tagging calves at birth, and um, what sort of information does Harry collect for you when, when he's running around doing that? Well, Harry's got a new Honda four-wheel bike with a a cradle on the back that has a weigh bar in it. He goes out and he goes up to the cow that's recently calved and usually they're, you know, they're sitting on the ground, most of them, and he puts the calf in the cradle and then he puts an NLIS button in the offside ear, a tag of its own um, number, say R, whatever it is this year, R23 or whatever it is, and also castrates the males at birth. Then he writes in the book who the cow is, what the date is, what the sex is, which paddock she's in, 
and I don't think there's oh a male and female or female and steer. So that's all linked to the cow and who the calf is by, who the bull went over that cow. So we've got a great record of the genetic progress and that all is recorded on a company called Sapien Technology, which is absolutely brilliant and has wonderfully patient um, staff that help me with the recording. They wouldn't need to be patient with you, Susie. Darling, no. they need to be patient. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, so I might just add here, Susie's a um, Team Tamania progeny test uh, member, which means that she collects performance information for Tamania Angus, and then that's all submitted to Breed Plan that gives us um, inf- uh, genetic information about the re- um, related animals that Susie has in her herd to ours, which improves the accuracy. So weighing calves at birth is very important because it gives us a... Um, First of all, it gives us the weight of the animal at birth so that we can minimise that, make sure that uh, animals are born easier. And also it gives us the first weight so that it makes the weight gain um, over its life more accurate. So, Susie, um, the um, performance recording is something that you've really taken on, particularly for us and for your own benefit. But tell us a little bit more about what that's been doing for you. It shows me where my herd is in relation to different Angus breeders and how my marbling is going so well and is probably ahead of most other Angus. It also gives me an enormous amount of information on fertility because when we AI the cows and heifers, we then have a record of how short their gestation length is. Uh, Susie, your animals seem to um, get a premium price in the marketplace. You're a very good marketer and people are aware of what you're doing in your program and uh, you are using genetic tools. Do you think the, um, there's a link between the marbling in your herd and the prices that you receive from um, processes and purchases of your livestock? I think there's more of a link between where uh, my seed stock comes from. So I'm a parallel herd to um, Tamania, and I think that is its, is its greatest asset because the marbling throughout our whole her- all our herds is above average. I'm 3.5 for marbling over this herd when breed average is 1.9. So I think it does have an, an enormous effect on how successful my female sales are. So your female sales in the recent years have been constantly topping uh, on, on Auctions Plus and... Um, and and it's got something also to do with you, I think, because you're so good at marketing them and telling people and making <laughs> them aware that it's happening and they're on the market. We do notice that. And I think everyone notices that Susie Chisholm's probably females are ones that you want. Susie, tell us a little bit more about um, where you come from and where you, how you got to where you are now. Well, how I got to where I was 
am now. It was a, probably the most major decision of um, my life after Chess died. Um, we came here in 84, he and I, and it wasn't long after that that he developed cancer and then he died. And I was a struggling farmer. I had no real knowledge until I, I joined Tamania and they have been an amazing help to me and in a huge encouragement, just a fluke that that happened to me because it totally changed my life and sent me off in a direction that has been the greatest joy to me. The other day I was drifting out heifers into a paddock, what we call a cottage paddock, just across from the house paddock. And they're such sweet things. They travel along really well. And um, I looked up and there were two amazing whistling eagles. I think they were babies. They were quite fluffy. So there's all those joys in it. And I really find that cattle are intelligent and also very affectionate, particularly to each other. But there was a little pea heifer here the other day, 244, P244. What a sweet person she was. She came up and sniffed my beanie and, you know, there was no... And then yesterday I drifted her out and she just saw the gate and away she went. So I'm really loving all that I'm doing. That's uh, fantastic. It's a, it's great to, you know, hear those stories about people with, with uh, a close affiliation with animals. Tell us a little bit about the um, your heifer program when you're carving down you're doing that at the moment so what how do you structure it so that um you can keep an eye on them easily and keep them fit and do all the right things well we've got a creek here which is um quite a problem if we have a lot of rain it comes up very quickly we can't get across i would prefer to carve the heifers down in a paddock called number three which is close to the main yard but I just found that that was just too far away and it was becoming a problem. So I've moved them, as I have from the past years, back into the house paddock, which is quite an open paddock, but it's on the slope of the hill. They can walk up and down a lot. I just can keep a better eye on them. I wasn't happy with them over the creek. And, and if we have it, which we can have at this time of the year and should have at this time of the year, rain, it's it's a... A headache getting across that creek so that's what they're here in the house paddock i've got a, a little yard down there an arena yard and if i have any problems there's a um, race and a bale down there and i can just keep a good eye on them i'm looking out at them now i feed them straw at the top of the hill and also a magnesium lip so they have proper muscle function and then I drift them out into different directions. I had to put a 70 head of cow mob in to eat this paddock down because it, we've had early rain and we've got a lot of clover this year and a lot of ryegrass. And so I wanted to de-accelerate their weight, if that's the way you describe it. So now I'm drifting the cows into, onto the creek and the heifers into what we call a triangle, which has got a lot of feed in it. So which way do you drift? You drift the cow, the heifers that have calved away from the ones that haven't. Yeah. So I've got the end heifers, the end cows calving in here. They've all finished now. There's only two left. 
of them. And then we're now in the second cycle of the pea heifers, and there's probably 30 of them to go. And I drift them in a different paddock to the cows. And then I've got a record. Everyone's got to AI, artificially inseminate, they've got to have carved 60 days before the date of the artificial insemination. So and I want to artificially inseminate as many as I can. So I've got a record. As they go out the gate, I write it in a little red book, you know, one, two, three, four, five. So I know exactly who's, how many are in that paddock of pea heifers and how many are in the N heifers, in the N cows going into the cottage paddock. And I will AI all of those when the time comes. Sounds like a pretty um, well-oiled machine up there, Susie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's got a few clunks in it, Tom. The, um, what's your favourite job at Gwali? You probably already mentioned it because um, drifting would have to be one of mine. It's, pretty, it's a pretty rewarding time. But um, what are the, your favourite farm jobs? Oh, I don't know that I've got exact. I love weaning. I find that I love training dogs, and I've trained probably seven now, which is no great big deal. But I use New Zealand heading dogs, and um, when we wean, I love to work the dogs. And of course, I've broken them in down there in the arena to begin with, and worked them. Oh, I've got a little mold of Dorper sheep. And I break them in with that. And then when we wean, I take them out and sit them down. So they're just holding the mob. They're not pushing the mob. They're just sitting on the ground. And um, I love that. I love carving. What else do Oh, and then I'm very keen on the when we have a steer. Um, all the steer portion usually goes down to a block that I have on the... Murrumbidgee River and uh, we weigh them and scan them down there for eye muscle area ribbon rump fat and marbling and those four um, records go into breed plan and and that's always exciting to see how they're marbling and I shouldn't be chasing marbling the way I am but that is an important factor and why we're doing so well with our steer um, section and our females, of course. But the market is wanting high marbling cattle and we are equal to the Wagyu with all the um, uh, elements of fertility and, and high um, retail beef and marbling, uh, not marbling, uh, eye muscle area and... And, and those elements. So, Susie, um, what, tell us a little bit about. You mentioned weaning. What about uh, weaning? How do you start, and what do you do? What age are they, and um, what's the process? Well, they're born in July, and I start weaning. I take the the heifer weaners off first, um, just to give the heifer um, a bit of a rest, and um, that's in late November, the last week in November, and the, then for the cow herd, try and get that done in the next two to three weeks of December because the climate has changed. 
it's amazing to me to see how it's changed. I had tomatoes. I've only just um, picked them in the vegetable garden this year. In July, that's unbelievable. If that doesn't tell you that the climate's changing, it's just incredible. And in now, in January and February, and it is too hot to have wieners out in the yard. So I try and get that all done in early, late November, early December. So they're only four or five months old, are they? July, August, September, October, November. They're four months old. So um, that's when we start. And, and, you know, that's quite a lot of work. Yeah. And um, you put them in the yards and yard wean them for a while or do you... Keep the mothers on the other side of the fence for two or three days and then they get sick of standing there and wanting their babies. It's, it's, it's sad for them, but it has to be done. And then we just run them down the hill and onto the creek here and um, that's usually got, you know, good feed on it. And then the, the weaners, well, then we work them through the yards and hold them out in, the, in a paddock in a corner and take them back into the yard paddock. And then we let them, we just, I say to everyone, don't move. Let them follow the lead. Teach them to follow the lead. And they soon pick that up very quickly because they've done that with their mothers when they're tiny little things. They've followed their mothers. So um, they go out into another paddock, Reggie's end up there, which has got good feed in it, and we feed them on a, you know, daily, second daily basis. Susie, the, um, your steers go to Rangers Valley a lot, I know. You get good feedback from them about what's going on. You also make sure that those steers are as good as they can be treated in a management-wise. You've talked a lot about genetics, but you um, prepare them and make sure that they've had as little setbacks in their life as possible? That's right. At weaning, we give them a 7-in-1, a Dectamax, and um, a BRD, which is for bovine rhinitis. And um, then, is there any, oh yes, and a selenium, but not all at once. Um when, the day that we wean, they get a five and one and a dexamax, and then when they come back for the in a month, um, they get the selenium. Then we're um, we're starting to get near the end of our time slot, so I was just wondering. Each podcast, we ask the guests three questions: um, mistakes, masterpieces, and mentors. What are what are some of the mistakes that Susie's made? Probably not, because I'm on a lease block, you know, this is, I'm leasing this, I haven't put enough into the pastures. I've relied on the pastures themselves. And also the water system is, has been, hopefully it's over now, but it has been a constant headache. And last year, on top of three years of drought, the lagoon, which is really an old dredge, gold dredge hole, supposed to be 40 feet deep well I'd pumped out at least 30 feet of it and it was down underneath the water level so the pump was having trouble lifting it from the foot valve to the pump and then on 
So there's nothing more terrifying than uh, cattle without water. So that's been one of my major mistakes not to get bigger, um, bigger. Well, I've got them now, but that that's that's always been a problem to me. Because this place was pretty run down when Shiz and I came here. But I've done a lot of fencing and um, I wish I'd done some more pasture improvement and I probably will. Mistake free apart from that. No, that's fine. Is, no, is it, but... <laughs> should we be saying on a daily basis? <laughs> You're speaking to Frank Spencer. <laughs> Masterpieces. You know how he used to say to Betty, oh, Betty... Well, I'm often saying, oh, Betty, to myself. <laughs> but nothing that I can't fix. Nothing like a chain and a crowbar. Nothing like a chain and a crowbar. What about masterpieces, Susie? You've got a, had a few masterpieces in your life. What, what are the things that you're really proud of? Oh, I suppose getting that um, 2,300 back in the year 2012 was, was a pretty big wake-up call. And that that was a fabulous sale for me, and um, that was great. Yeah. My children, my children are a constant joy, and my grandchildren. But um, just every day is is good. I can't think of too many mistakes and too many wonderful things. It just I'm a pretty happy person. Susie, mentors. Who's someone? Who's who are the people that have influenced your life the most? Well, of course, I have to say, Mary and Andrew and all you people, Tom and Lucy and Hamish and Amanda, you know, and all that we're doing with this particular um, herd of cattle, not this this particular herd, but the team herd, you know, it's fabulous people in it and we're having such good results, it's exciting. Thank you very much, Susie, and um, it's been great to have a chat today. Thank you, Tom. I had a couple of little tiny questions for you just before we let you go. I just was curious, you said 1984 was when you moved to the property. Did it cross your mind? You you, you mentioned that um, you didn't know a great deal at that time. Did it cross your mind at ever along that early those early days of doing it on your own? I can't do this. I don't want to. How am I going to possibly do this? No, it didn't. I had I've had always from a tiny child. Um, you know, I was my father came from Julia Creek. And he had a hard life out there, but I've always had a burning passion for being on the land. And um, this was as sad as it was with Chid. You know, that was an absolute tragedy for me. But I had a burning passion to stay here where where we'd come to, Chiz and I. And then miracle upon miracle, um, I had some help in the early days from Ian McMichael, and then I joined Team Tamania, and and that's just has been extremely exciting for me. You talk about it like it's a community, almost like an extended family. Is that what's helped you out too? Yeah, I've made some fabulous friends through through the team. You know, when we all get together, we are thrilled to see each other, and we talk on the phone quite regularly. 
I've got about five, five or six people uh, that, you know, have become my really good friends. And then the, the others, I just adore seeing, catching up and finding out what they're doing and um, challenging to um, keep on top of it all. I love it, Susie. Thank, Thank you, you for that. And I love your no, not for one second. There's a <laughs> there's a great amount of strength in that. And I loved it. <laughs> Tom, it sat up straight and you thumbs up and yeah. <laughs> Boy, I just say how lucky I am. Every time I get out of a hot shower, I think how fortunate I am and how I can cook all the things that I can, you know, my preserves and, and things. You know, I live a very good life. I really do. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app.